Welcome to the Arena Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. To worship God, we love to give thanks to Him. And we love to receive His Word. We believe that His Word changes us. It changes us day by day, week by week, month by month. Sometimes you may come to church and you may really feel the words impacted you. Other times less so. But even on the times when you think it's less so, it's done more than you realise. And this morning, if you have not yet began a journey of faith, we believe that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. So for the next 30 minutes or so, we're going to encourage you just to receive something from the Word. Uh, Just as we come to that, I I couldn't let this week go. Just very briefly, Nathan was talking this morning uh, about reminding us uh, in whose presence we were and uh, this week on Thursday, I, uh, Sharon and me were in the presence of Her Majesty. I mean, I, I mean literally, you know. Um, I've, got the, I've got the photographs to prove it. So I think we were last on the list, but part of my week is being part of the national leadership team of Assemblies of God, of which John Partington used to be the leader. And uh, uh, we haven't got a leader at the moment. That's another story, but we're hoping to get one soon. And um, so to represent the charitable arm of Assemblies of God. For instance, like Serve Day, like all the great things that Arena Mansfield do, it was our privilege to be at the garden party in Buckingham Palace on Thursday afternoon. It was raining all around London, and yet not a drop of rain fell all afternoon. It was just a miracle. And uh, so, uh, you know, some weeks are a bit mundane, aren't they? You know, uh, this week wasn't, you know. So, uh, but the point is this, that... I said this very respectfully, we're in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords this morning. And as Nathan reminded us, his name is above every name. And here's the work of the Holy Spirit at work in us. The work of the Holy Spirit in us is to make Jesus as real in this meeting this morning as I was five meters away from Her Majesty on Thursday afternoon. That's the power of God and that's the love of the Lord. So Matthew chapter 6 verse 33 this morning. Matthew six thirty-three. And the Bible says these words, but seek first his kingdom or the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given or added to you as well. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you or added to you as well. Our series title, which will come up on the screen in a moment, is in this uh, early summer period, Do the Hard Things. Uh, as I was reminded in a conversation with Christian this week, not the impossible things, but the hard things. And you remember a couple of weeks ago, we started this series by Jesus beckoning disciples up the mountainside and he sat down and taught them. He may have taught them all of this in one go. He may have done it over a period of time. But in Matthew 5, 6 and 7, we have what we call the sermon or the message on the mount. And Jesus comes to a people that were perhaps looking for a different message, a political message, an emancipating message, uh, a message that would just uh, minister into the natural. And he brings a message of the kingdom, of the rule of God, of how it looks when we make God first in our lives. And he raises the levels. He said, you've heard it said, because the people listening would have heard the law. He says, but I say to you, And he he began to lift off them the burden of religion and liberate them into the beauty of a relationship with him. And 
the relationship with Jesus makes some big calls on our lives. But if we will find a heart that responds to God, as we've heard in the leadership of the meeting this morning, God can do amazing things. Sharon and me, Sharon's from Yorkshire, I'm from Nottingham, two council house kids in Buckingham Palace on Thursday afternoon. That's God. That's God. And, uh, and uh, God can do amazing things. I say to young people this morning, God can do amazing things in your life if you will seek first his kingdom. So we're going to look at this this morning. And uh, I'm going to encourage you to, uh, when you get home, read verses, verses 19 to 34, because that will be the context of the verses this morning. I'm going to try and unpack it. We're going to try and do it in the time allotted. And we're going to have to go like the wind. But here's, here's the truth, that God wants to bless us doing the hard things. Last week, he was doing the hard things morally. This week, he's doing the hard things worshipfully. In other words, there's a battle on for worship. There's a battle on in life for who comes first. If you want a title for the message this morning, I bought this wooden block with me because in Ilkeston, uh, maybe a couple of years ago now, not this message, but I was just talking about God first. And Nathan was talking about people being very kind to, to them when him and Joanna got married. I, I tell you, some of the gifts nowadays are amazing. When I got married, which was 39 years ago next month, it was sort of like the bottom drawer. You know, you used to get towels and linen. And, well, nowadays, woo. And somebody bought us a plaque, which had the embossed words in it, God first. Now, we believe that. In fact, the plaque used to be above our little gas fire in our flat in Skegness where we first started ministry. Because Sharon and me, right at the beginning of even our courtship, had committed to the fact that God would come first. Whatever it cost, whatever it meant, God would come first. There was a lady in an Ilkison church, Mary Wheatley, many of you know her. In fact, she likes coming to Mansfield on occasions. She heard this because I lost the embossed plaque when we moved somewhere. I mean, shame, you know, but I was devastated. But the fact is, a couple of weeks later, she says, oh, she says I bought you a present. God first. And so um, she got this done from a, a guy in Ilkeston. And this now sits on uh, the, the bookshelf, one of the bookshelves in the office. Because it always reminds me of what we've committed to do. And if you want a title, if you forget everything else I say over the next few minutes, God is calling us as believers climbing up the mountainside to not only be a decision, but a devoted follower of him to put God first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you as well. Worship. Who comes first? There's always been a battle. You see, worship is more than a service on a Sunday morning. We thank God for that. It's more than a song. And Kev and the band have led us in some great songs this morning. It's more than a scripture. What, uh, another uh, uh, reference or another description of the Bible. It's more than all those things. I've had people speak to me with squinty eyes on a door after a service saying, you know what, Phil, you know what, Pastor, the worship could have gone on this morning. I don't know what time they wanted to go home, but it was clearly way after everybody else wanted to go home. The worship could have gone on this morning. I understand what they mean. Worship is very subjective in a service, by the way. Some people want it to go on, some people want it to finish. 
But here's the truth. If you do not understand that the worship always goes on, you don't understand worship. Because tomorrow in the hospital ward, you are worshipping. Tomorrow in that business meeting, you are worshipping. Tomorrow as you teach those kids, you are worshipping. Tomorrow as you seek to close down that sale, you are worshipping. Because worship is the devotion of our life unto Him. It is not defined by the environment of a church service. It is something where whatever we're doing, we are putting God First, the integrity that you take into the workplace tomorrow is worship. The dignity that you carry as a Jesus follower is worship. The worship always goes on. Always goes on. And the enemy knows it. And so he's been battling for worship. Let me just briefly give you some areas where he battles for worship. He battles for worship in the area of power. In the eons of time, there was Lucifer. He was the worship... He was the worship leader of heaven. And he said, he said, I want to be like God. God said, I want to share my glory with anybody. And so Bible commentators, we haven't got time to go there this morning, but in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, say that that gives us a little insight in the eons of time of the battle in the heavens. And Lucifer was cast out of heaven because there was a battle for power. And then right at the beginning of the Bible, in the first story of Adam and Eve, there was a battle of worship of a purpose. And God says, I'm going to bless you. In fact, the innocence of man was such that man and woman walked around with no clothes on and there was no issue. It was just a beautiful sort of communion between them and God. God says, please don't take of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But they started to doubt. They started to disbelieve. And they destroyed the beauty of that innocence of relationship with God one of the first things they realized they needed to do when they broke it was to clothe themselves there's a battle for the worship of purpose over your life God's got a purpose for you do you think the enemy's just going to say yeah get on with it he's going to battle for it at times but don't doubt God there's a battle for worship over presence not presence presence e-n-t-s but presence e-n-c-e The presence of God. And when the people of God in the Old Testament didn't worship the Lord, the presence was taken from them. It was in Old Testament days tangible. It was expressed in a box called the Ark of the Covenant. And when the Ark of the Covenant was taken away from the people, Ichabod, the glory of the Lord, has departed from you. It was a sign that they had stopped worshipping the Lord. When David was installed as the king in God's purpose and plan, the first thing he did was to restore the presence of God to the center of the national worship in Jerusalem. And he pulled back the Ark of the Covenant to Mount Zion in Jerusalem. And the people began to say, God, you're first. And his presence came again. And then worship is battled over for the place. Jesus is speaking in John 4. Speaking to Samaritans, speaking to Jews, he says, some of you think you're going to meet God on Mount Gerizim. Some of you think you're going to meet God in Jerusalem. But I'm looking for people that will worship God in spirit and in truth. People walk into this building and say, well, this isn't a proper church. Didn't it used to be Royalists, the snooker club? That is true. But the reality is, friends, we are not in York Minster this morning. We are not in Canterbury Cathedral We are not in one of the great ecclesiastical buildings of the nation 
But it doesn't matter because when people come together in spirit and truth, there Jesus is. So we can worship God literally anywhere. Who comes first? And God says, in implementing, in applying the doing of the hard thing worshipfully, seek first my kingdom and all these other things will be added to you. I want to give you four things from Matthew 6, 19 to 34 that will reflect in our lives that we are seeking to seek first his kingdom. Number one, it's reflected in where our treasure is. Where our treasure is. Chris, I don't know whether it's possible just to put up verses uh, uh, 19 to 21 for me, please. Do not store, thank you. Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and vermin. In some translation, it says where rust doth corrupt and where thieves break in and and spoil. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin cannot destroy and where thieves do not break in and, store, and spoil. We reflect it first in where our treasure is. Now, you watch one of those films, you know, Pirates, what's the Johnny Depp thing? There, there we go, okay. And uh, you've watched it and, you know, treasure, the booty. They've, they've, they've sort of t- taken the, the treasure off the boat. We think that's treasure. But it's more than that. The treasure is, in the sense, a reflection of what your wealth is. So, well, I haven't got any wealth. You've got something. And the reality is sometimes, friends, we can have very little, but we become very possessive about it. It's mine. It's mine. It's mine. My treasure. And the Bible says that when we seek first his kingdom, it reflects where our treasure is. Notice in the verses that Chris put up for us, treasure can be affected Moth can come to it. Remember when you used to have mothballs? Going back to that bottom drawer when you first got married. Remember you used to have mothballs in the, in the... It was a protection against things eroding that had been laid in the drawer. Uh, treasure can erode. Wouldn't it be great? Never mind about all these hybrid cars. and all the, Wouldn't it be great if we had one that never rusted away? I mean, the millions of cars are in that great scrapyard in the sky, you know. And however much you pay for it, it's only going one way. Eventually, it's going to the scrapyard, you know. Mine go there quicker than most. And then treasure can be apprehended. There's only been once in our life where we've been burgled. So when we lived in Oxford, just after Christmas, the elder ran me up. He says, the back door of your house is open. He says, you've had an intruder. I thought, oh, you know. Anyway, they had a look around and realized there was nothing to take and went somewhere else. <laughs> it's true. The fact is they can get irritated at times and so they trash the house just for the, forgive the phrase, just for the hell of it. Uh, there wasn't a Christmas card out of place and we thank God for that. But we felt violated. It, take, it took us a little time just to navigate it, get over it, get the glass pane put in that they're broken. Somebody had been in our house that shouldn't have been. And it may be that you've had a far worse experience than that. But the reality is this, that treasure 
can be taken by others. Here's the truth. Your earthly treasure has no permanency. No permanency. There's a day coming when you will not be able to take it with you. So God says, don't put that first. But seek treasures in heaven. There's a story of uh, the early Christian church that was under terrible persecution. And this early church, like the church of today, was lovingly caring for the poor and the sick and the distressed and the helpless. And in the days of terrible Roman persecution, the Roman authorities broke into a Christian church and they were out for the treasures. The Roman prefect said to the deacon of the church, show me your treasures at once. And Laurentius, the leader of the church, pointed to the widows and the orphans and the sick and those that couldn't feed themselves and those that needed to be nursed and the poor and the needy. He says, these are the treasures of the church. He went on to say, the church has always believed that what we keep, we lose. And what we spend, we have. Number one, we reflect that God comes first when we reflect where our treasure is. Number two, what is our vision on? What is our vision on? And the next uh, verse in verse 22 and 23, Chris, if we could just have that up. What is our vision on? The eye is the lamp of the body. If our eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within your darkness, how great is that darkness? What is your eye upon? I'm not talking about the natural eye because, as you can see, I'm having to use these a bit more these days. Well, I'm 63 on Thursday. I mean, it's not bad that I've got that long, you know. So natural eyesight deteriorates. Spiritual eyesight improves. It gets sharper and more defined as we see that our vision is upon him. Paul praying for the church says, I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened, that you may know the hope and the riches And the power to which you are called. Sometimes we hear the word vision. And clearly vision is a gift that is given to leaders. And we've heard from Pastor Christian this morning. uh, Something of the vision of Serve Day. You could see how excited he was about something that he has seen. But the reality is vision is not just the preserve of leaders. Vision is what you are seeing for your life. Vision is what you are seeing for your kids. Vision is what you are seeing for your grandchildren. Vision is what you are seeing for your input into your world. What do you see? Someone says vision is an inspired look that leads to inspired action. And somebody else says the amount of light that invades a room is defined by the state of the windows. Anybody have problems with window cleaners? Oh. Our window cleaner's just finished, you know. I mean, he'd knock on the door at half past seven on a Saturday night, you know. So I've just come to, come on, mate. What have you been doing all week? And, and anyway, we decided we probably could clean them ourselves. 
In fairness to the window cleaner, imagine never cleaning your windows for weeks and months and years. It would have an issue with the light that would invade the house. And our heart, our inner being, is the window in which the light of God shines in. It's shining in a bit more this morning. It's giving us another wash. You've been in context this week where you've heard language you'd rather not have heard. You've heard jokes you've had to walk away from. You've been in pressure situations that, of course... And it's come down on the windows. But this morning, God's washing the window again. He's saying, have a fresh look. See again. Be washed again. See what God wants to do in your life. We reflect putting the kingdom first when our vision is upon him. Number three, who's our service to? Verse 24, Chris. Who's our service to? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. Listen, you can't serve God and money. In some translations, it's got the word mammon. You can't serve. Now, we could spend a long time here. But it's the old adage. It's not a case of whether you've got money or not. It's whether money's got you. You can have a million in the bank and be free to put the kingdom first. You can have 10 quid in the bank. It's mine. It's mine. It's mine. It's mine. He's mastering you. It's not about amounts. It's about heart attitudes. That's the key. But you can't serve two masters. You can't say, he's my master and that's my master because it compromises mastership. When we put first the kingdom, he asks us to put him first in every way. Now listen, I believe, and there are people better than this than me, even in the church to encourage it, that God wants to bless people in Arena Mansfield in amazing ways. I mean, we're in awe of the response to the 2020 offering appeal and we realize that across the church people have made sacrificial responses to that to allow us to go through that 100,000 pound target incredible and God is going to bless people in amazing ways in this church there are people I watch them I look at them I see some of our young men and women they're very entrepreneurial just in terms of it's something that perhaps has emerged more in that generation. I can't even spell it, entrepreneur. Never mind about being one, you know. Um, and I work with an entrepreneur, of course. And uh, the fact is God can take all of that redeemed gift and use it amazingly for the kingdom. And I really believe that. But there are people at times, I was reading a story this week, an amazing story about John Bradbourne. And uh, there's talk in, if you like, a different sort of church to us in terms of tradition about him being sainted. But he came to faith in the war. And uh, he was known as the vagabond of God. Wow. And he gave himself to serve in Zimbabwe in a leprosy mission. And uh, when, when, when it was in the time, late 70s, when Rhodesia was moving to Zimbabwe, a lot of inter-tribal fighting. Some of you be aware of that in terms of your own journeys. And he was advised to leave the colony, and he didn't. And eventually some guerrilla fighters took hold of him, and his life was given to Christ. He completely... He could have... He was publicly educated, he was a poet, he was a writer. He could have earned lots of money doing other things, but his call was different. 
He's called, because his seeking of the kingdom was just a different journey. Different journey. Whatever road God takes us on, whether we have many possessions or little, let's continue to ensure that he's the master. Julie sent me a, a, a thing on, um, on our uh, WhatsApp ministry team connection this week of a certain preacher that's just put out an appeal so that he can have his fourth private jet. Lord help us. Here's what Paul said to, to his son in the faith, Timothy. And I'm not about people not being blessed for their ministry. But here's what Paul said to Timothy. He says, they think religion, speaking to leaders, is a way of making a fast book. A devout life does bring wealth, but it's the rich simplicity of being yourself before God. Since we entered the world penniless, we will leave it penniless. If we have bread on the table and shoes on the feet, that's enough. But if it's only money these leaders are after, they'll self-destruct in no time. Lust for money, lust for money, you see. Mastership. Not having money, lust for money brings trouble and nothing but trouble. Going down that path, some lose their footing in the faith completely and live bitterly to regret it. But you, man of God, Run for your life from all this. Pursue a righteous life, a life of wonder, faith, love, steadfastness, and courtesy. Run hard and fast in faith. Seize the eternal life, the life you were called to, the life you so fervently embraced in the presence of so many witnesses. As somebody said, the real measure of your wealth is how much you are worth if you lose all of your money. There may be different calls around this room. But let's ensure that in it all, Jesus is the master that we serve. And finally, we reflect that God is first in what we're concerned about. I don't have time to read these verses, but in verses 25 to 32, Jesus says four times, Do not worry. When I was a young pastor serving in Oxford in the 80s, I remember being in a midweek group and I read Matthew 6. This lady came up to me afterwards. Her name was Doreen. She said, it's all right for you reading them verses. Sorry, but that's how she did it. It's all right for you reading them verses from Matthew 6, but I'm the worrying type. (laughs) In other words, I don't believe that. The reality is, I probably had more to worry about than she did. And in this congregation this morning, with respect, we've probably got one or two that are the worrying type. Please hear me as I close this particular section. I am not seeking to treat this lightly or tritely or frivolously. Worry has a devastating effect on our society. The biggest killer for men under the age of 45 in the UK, is suicide. Worry. In 2017, 1.1 billion prescriptions were given. And that's doubled over 10 years. And there's been a 100% increase in the prescribing of antidepressants in the last decade. Worry. Stress takes 10 million days a year from the workplace. 
impacting the economy by billions of pounds. Worry. Jesus comes this morning and says, even if you're the worrying type, even if you've got that meeting tomorrow, thinking, oh, goodness me. Even if you've got that pesky boss that makes eight hours seem like 80 occasions. Jesus said this morning, if you put my kingdom first, don't worry. And why did he say that? Well, worry is unnatural. Because Jesus says, if I can take care of the birds and the flowers, how much more can I take care of you? Worry is unhelpful. Because in those verses it says, you can't add a single day to your life by worrying. Living the day. You ever met that person that's always living tomorrow? They can't, they can't enjoy today. Can't enjoy today. Can't enjoy live today. And worrying is unnecessary, thirdly, because God says, if you'll seek first my kingdom, then food and clothes and life and future will be all taken care of by him. God says, That he'll give, if we'll just serve him, he says that my God will supply all your needs, not your greeds. Sometimes he throws in one or two extras just to bless us. But to provide all the needs, all the things that make life work, if we'll seek first the kingdom. Say, it's all right for you, Phil. You don't know the state of my bank balance. It's all right for you. But there's a threat of redundancy at our workplace. It's all right for you. But I'm the banker mum and dad at the moment with my kids going through further education. I understand all those things. I I try to ground ministry friends in a real world. I want to say this morning that if you'll freshly go from the service this morning saying, Lord Jesus, we're going to commit to putting you first. We're going to reflect that in the way that we trust you and that we believe in you and that we're not going to become overly concerned about those things. Let's believe that as we seek first the kingdom, All these other things will be added as well. Somebody says, every night I turn any worries I have over to God. He's going to be up all night anyway. I'm closing. God first. Seems pretty easy. But we all know it's harder than that. Do the hard things. Sharing with me on occasions, I've had to look right down the barrel. Say, God, you're coming first. You're coming first. You're coming first. And when we put into action the priority of seeking first the kingdom, we can claim the promise that all these other things will be added as well. Let's yield afresh today. And if we've never become a believer, let's yield for the first time. There's nothing better than seeking first the kingdom. It will reflect where our treasure is, what our vision is on, whom our service is to, and what we're concerned about. But doing the hard thing, winning the battle of worship in our life, doing the hard thing will cause you and all those people that you come into contact with to be blessed.
in an amazing way.